Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's Friday, folks. Welcome to Draft Dudes. I'm Kyle Krabs. What's better than this? Start of a weekend. One more show without Joe Marino, uh, co-hosting and, and driving the ship along with yours truly. If you are like me and you've missed him dearly, fret not. He'll be back on Monday, uh, fresh off his honeymoon. But today, we are going to talk about the a- uh, the NFC West. Excuse me. We need to talk about uh, the two top teams in this division from last season, the L.A. Rams and the Seattle Seahawks, and what they were able to do uh, with their draft capital that they acquired. And uh, Seattle is always an interesting team, kind of jumping right into this today. Uh, Seattle has been a team throughout the course of my six years of scouting the draft that more consistently than any other program out there uh, targets and identifies, quote-unquote, their guys. And um, they they don't typically correlate as far as the valuation of my rankings with the top of the the selections that they make. For example, LJ Collier being their top pick at 29. First of all, this team did a masterful job Uh, acquiring all this draft capital. They made 11 picks. I think that's more than twice as many as they were supposed to make coming into the the class. So uh, the the Frank Clark trade obviously helps with that, the the trade backs that they made along the way. Uh, They had three picks in the top 64, four in the top 100. They did a nice job kind of uh, attacking the volume component of this. But LJ Collier, for me, uh, ascending player, a player that I liked a lot, uh, but drafting him at 29 wasn't really in line with my personal valuation of Collier as a football player. That does not mean that I'm going to doubt Collier's chance for success in the pros uh, because it's a perfect scheme fit. That, again, kind of comes back to I can refer to my numbers and my rankings, but at the end of the day, these criteria that these teams set, they're very different. Like We just found out uh, the, the Cardinals put out a promo video speaking of the NFC West or, uh, and it, it kind of recapped their entire weekend of their draft process. And uh, at the end of that video, it was revealed that uh, the Cardinals acquired four of their top 35 players in the draft with Kyler Murray, Byron Murphy, who they had as the fifth best player on their board. It was revealed during that video. Uh, Andy Isabella and Zach Allen. And then obviously they were super pumped to get Hakeem Butler as well. So, it's a good illustration of like the valuation process and the criteria that these teams are applying to the players is so unique and so different. And, and that is uh, something that I don't think should be slept on. Uh, it, it makes this much more complicated than just reading through your list and, oh, I've got player X and player Y. I can cite my background and talk about why I didn't like Marquise Blair as a top 50 player. 
uh, player I had a fifth round grade on. I could cite my evaluation and then say, listen, they got DK Metcalf, a top 10 player for me at 64. I think that's one of the best 20 picks of this draft class, regardless of, of where it was made. And I believe those things, but I will not be surprised if Marquise Blair and LJ Collier, guys who who I was a little bit more lukewarm on relative to Seattle and their their personal evaluations of them as players, uh, if they have successful careers. If I read through this entire Seattle Seahawks draft class, you've got Collier, Marquise Blair, DK Metcalf, Cody Barton, Gary Jennings, Phil Haynes, Ugo Amadi, Ben Burkervin, Travis Homer, Demarcus Christmas, and John Ursa uh, across the board. What I like about this draft class, I like the receivers that they brought in a ton. Metcalf at 64, obviously, I think is a steal. Uh, Gary Jennings went 120 in the fourth round. I had a, a 158th on my board, so I did think that was appropriate value, and I think his fit in Seattle makes a lot of sense. You see that these guys went out and they got two guys with some speed to burn and compress vertically, and Russell Wilson, uh, his ability to get outside the pocket and extend some plays, I think it's going to really extend some of these explosive plays in the Seattle passing offense. Uh, John Ursua, uh, they picked him 236, had him 257, was a player I came back to after I did my initial 300 watch, and uh, he's a pretty shifty dude. I would not be surprised if he sticks on this team and He's kind of got like one of those replicatable skill sets. You get a lot of shifty slot guys that aren't necessarily real big and super fast, but Ursua could play. I like his instincts. Uh, the uh, run and shoot offense that they play there at Hawaii, it's all about finding soft spaces in defenses and defenses and, and kind of going where the defense isn't. And, and if you give him the opportunity to do a lot of those kinds of uh, option routes in the middle of the field, He's going to be the guy that can can produce for you. So I, I like the pick of John Ursua. Um, I even thought DeMarcus Christmas and Travis Homer, his sixth-round picks, they got good value for both of those guys as well. I wasn't crazy on Ben Burkirvin, who they took at 142. Uh, for me, he's a limited-ceiling guy. I think he's a special teams ace kind of guy long-term. I don't think he's necessarily ideally a starter for me at the next level because he's not super physical, but when you put him in Seattle and you think about how physical the front the, the Seahawks play, it makes sense that he's going to go to a team like that that's going to try and keep their linebackers clean. Ugo Amadi went 132. I had him 124 on my personal board. Uh, I think that was the closest like one-to-one correlation as far as like a value of a player picked versus the actual pick that they were made. Uh, the Seahawks and I were closest on Ugo Amadi from Oregon. So by and large, I think this this continues to be for the Seahawks. Uh, what can a player do? And in targeting what a player can do, the Seahawks continue to find guys that are going to fit very specific roles. They have their system. They trust their system. They're loyal to their system. And they should be because they've had a fair amount of success throughout the course of of this run that they've had with Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. And the challenge for them has been kind of restocking and reloading the deck while phasing out one entire group of your roster and replacing all of those players. Like this defense is going to be vastly different. No more Cam Chancellor now. It's official. No more Doug Baldwin on the offensive side of the ball. It's official. So the Seahawks 
are, are kind of one of those teams that they walk that fine line between rebuilding and reloading. And obviously with Russell Wilson, uh, you're seeing this as a team that's looking to reload. And although the values of the players don't necessarily match up, the Seahawks have never measured well versus my own board. If you just strictly look at without asking any questions or taking any context context, and you say, okay, where did Kyle have him ranked? Okay, where did the Seahawks have him ranked? Well, they didn't see these players very similarly. Well, Seattle is, is one of those rare teams in the leagues that, that they do or kind of serve as an exception to the rule. And I'm excited about the prospects of LJ Collier in this, this class and in this, this defense. I'm excited about the prospect of DK Metcalf and Gary Jennings. Marquise Blair, I'm a little more lukewarm on, uh, considering Seattle's cover three. If, you, if you're going to ask them to do the Cam Chancellor role, uh, I think you'll have some growing pains there. But I think from a functional athleticism perspective, he's certainly got the skill set to do it. And he tackles, right? So it's like th- those things combine, and it's like, that's what makes this hard because if you just ranked the teams and, and the players that they took versus my rankings, Seattle's going to come in towards the bottom. And I have not liked some of their past classes with this being the case, but even though Seattle wouldn't be a team that measures favorably well in this year's class, I like a lot of what they did. I'm pretty positive on this draft class in general. Switching gears to the L.A. Rams. We'll read through this this draft's class. They had uh, seven seven picks. Yeah, they had seven picks in this year's class, and uh, they got one of my my. They actually got a top player at a position, but we'll be there in just a sec. Taylor Rapp, Daryl Henderson, David Long, Bobby Evans, Greg Gaines, David Edwards, and Dakota Allen is this year's LA Rams class. Uh, Rams kind of handcuffed. First pick was at 61. They went 61, 70, 79, and 97. So three opportunities to get players that um, I think there was a pretty steep drop-off after about 100 or 110 in this year's draft class. But the Seahawks uh, actually got four players that were in my top 80 in their draft class. So pretty respectable amount of return for their picks here. Uh, Taylor Rapp, I had him 67th, early third round grade. He went 61st, end of the, fir- of the second round. Appropriate value. Uh, I guess one of my things with Rapp is just what's the ceiling, right? Like Rapp's a solid tackler. He's a smart football player. He plays super hard. He's good against the run. But I didn't see a lot of instincts on the back end and in pass coverage for him. So he's a pretty safe player, but he's not instinctual, and he, he's, he's not he doesn't have that anticipatory quality that allows him to really jump down and, and challenge things, at least right now, coming out of the University of Washington. So um, I don't have a problem with the value, obviously. I think the value lines up. Would I have loved to have seen them go out and get like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson or something? Sure, but nobody wanted Chauncey Gardner-Johnson on day two for whatever reason. So... I, I think that pick is one that may take a little bit of time, but that's fine. This Rams team is pretty top-heavy right now. So they're going to need players who can come in and take a little bit of time to uh, marinate, develop, learn the system, and then as the Rams have to make some hard decisions with their personnel, they can let some guys go. 
I think uh, some of their other day two picks, their their third round picks, two of their three third round picks, as a matter of fact, this applies to, I mean, shit, this probably applies to all three of their third round picks. Uh, Daryl Henderson, David Long, and Bobby Evans. So Daryl Henderson, let me get this one out of the way. I love this pick for the Rams. This is one of the the, the best 50 value picks for me in my scoring where I'm, I'm taking the point, the trade value chart, the points of that pick, what your expected return is versus the points of my ranking on the board, what the actual return of points was, and then I'm adding a weight on top of that to prioritize well, earlier picks should be more important than later picks to get appropriate or greater value. So uh, this Daryl Henderson pick was one of my top 50 best values in the draft. And uh, just got done talking about with Taylor Rat how guys are going to have to come in and, and marinate and learn the system. Henderson might be in touch for or might be in play for some touches early on in his career, uh, with depending on what the situation was with Todd Gurley. But I would say this. Uh, it's not very encouraging that the Rams are trading up and taking Daryl Henderson at 70 for Todd Gurley's long-term viability. Now, I read somewhere along the way on, on the blessed Twitter.com that uh, the, ran, uh, the Rams ran as much outside zone as any team in the league, and Henderson averages over 10 yards of carry in outside zone. So I think it's a wonderful scheme fit for them. So this was my top running back in the class. And to get him at 70 with that kind of scheme fit on top of it, I really, really love that pick for the Rams. Uh, David Long and Bobby Evans. David Long coming in, they picked him 79th. He was a guy I wasn't quite as high on, well, nowhere near as high on it as some other folks. I know some folks who I have great respect for who had him as a top 50 player. Um uh, but you put David Long in the secondary, and their starting corners right now are Peters, Talib, and Nickel Roby Coleman. Um, unless somebody gets hurt, David's probably not going to get a lot of looks uh, unless you're getting into sub packages. So it's a great opportunity for him. He had great athletic testing. I didn't thought I didn't think he played with the same level of functional athleticism as what he did um, testing athleticism, but that's fine. Um, Long is a guy for me personally, I'd love to project into the nickel, put him behind nickel Roby Coleman uh, and, and let him play there. I'd like a guy that's a little bit bigger, a little bit longer, a little bit more uh, stout as far as functional play strength on the outside. Um, so that, that's probably my preferred long-term projection for David Long, but he's not going to get pressed into action right away. Same thing with Bobby Evans, right? Andrew Whitworth is there. Andrew Whitworth's like almost 40 and flirted with retirement. He's coming back for another year. And Rams uh, nailing down Bobby Evans in the third round, I think, is, is great value for them at that point. Um, I had Bobby Revit, Evans rated 80th on my personal board. They picked him 97th. So it's a plus value at that point. Uh, you get him a chance to kind of sit down, learn the ropes, kind of work on his functional play strength a little bit. He, he's really smooth, and he's got all the traits you want in a left tackle. He's just got to get a little stronger. There's some times where he gets pushed back a little bit too much. Uh, so each of those day three picks for the Rams, you look at, and this is a team that's drafting with some forward thinking. It isn't really until you get to, to Greg Gaines at 134 that, that they make a pick that I'm like super against and, and really don't like. Uh, surprised would be an understatement for Greg Gaines. 
at 134, uh, you put him in this defensive front. And right now the the starters are Brockers, Tanzel Smart, and Aaron Donald are listed as the starters up front. And, and Greg Gaines, I just didn't think he gave you anything of substance, right? Like he's a stout plug. And if you want to play him at the nose, that's fine. But he doesn't have long arms. He doesn't get off the blocks particularly well. He's kind of just like a bowling ball in the middle that plays with a low center of gravity. So I, I would have liked to have seen them if they wanted to check that box, maybe you know look at some of the other interior defensive linemen that were still available. Um, let me come back. I want to see who is available, but I want to keep talking and, and not lose my thought here on David Edwards. Uh, David Edwards is a player who I think can be one of these steals uh, of this draft class for the Rams. They they picked him at 169. He got much worse this past year, unfortunately. Uh, but a lot of that came down to uh, the, the fact that he played through, an, I believe it was an ankle injury throughout the, the majority of the season. So he kind of had a tough go-round uh, as far as car, the, the hand that he was dealt trying to play through injury. And uh, Edwards... Still fairly green to the offensive tackle position, so I think there's some things that you can point to there and get pretty excited to. Uh, interior defensive linemen who were still on the board after 134. My producer's got it up for me. So Gaines went 134. Yeah, you got Kaminsky at 135, who I wasn't super high on either. But then you got Kingsley Kiki, Daylon Mack, Armand Watts, Isaiah Bugs, Demarcus Christmas, uh, Terry Beckner, even Dontavius Russell, Cortez Broughton. Like these are all guys that were drafted after Greg Gaines that I had as more attractive fits. And not all of those are like pure fits, but like Dalen Mack. You want nose tackle? Take Dalen Mack. You know, he went at 160. I had him rated 139 versus Greg Gaines. I had 256 versus he went 134. So. But again, if you're getting into day three and, and you're real, that's where you're airing your grievances for the draft class. Uh, I think the Rams did a nice job of thinking ahead. So th- these two draft classes in general for the NFC West come down to uh, one team has a system that they trust and they're going to play within that system. They're going to draft guys within that system. And the other team in that division uh, that we talked about today, the Rams, really did a nice job thinking ahead and drafting in accordance to not what their team needs right now because they're pretty top-heavy, but what does their team need in 2020, 2021. So that's a great way to really extend your your operating window and uh, maximize your potential. If I had to rank these classes, as far as the Rams, the Seahawks, the Niners, and the Cardinals, jeez. I would probably rank them I would probably rank the the Rams last just because you won't get much of a day one impact not that they need it but again I'm going to piss somebody off so I'll put the Rams last uh because they they did not get a top 30 talent for me where at least all the other classes got at least one I'd probably put the Seahawks third the 49ers for nailing down Nick Bosa and Debo Samuel. That's a super duo. Uh, second, and then the Cardinals 
with Kyler, Byron, Isabella, Zach Allen, Hakeem Butler, and Deontay Thompson as like the meat and potatoes. All those guys were top 80 players on my, on my draft board. They got six top 80 players through pick 139. They did a nice job, even though I wouldn't have gone Kyler, you know? Um, like, like this division in general. I think some nice things were done. I think each team stayed true to their identity. And that's why I'm not going to sit here and harp on these teams too much because their identity defines their criteria much more than I ever could. Hope you guys enjoyed this week. Uh, Sorry Joe could not be here to go along for the ride. He will be back, as I said, on Monday. Uh, Make sure you hit subscribe on the podcast. Leave us your hot takes. We're getting some tattle takes with the hashtag tattle takes. Uh, If you want to tell on somebody else's hot take and turn them into us, you can hit us with that as well. I'm at Grinding the Tape. Have a great weekend, guys. Go Sixers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.